Let's look at John 15, verses 7 and 8, and notice the extraordinary thing. Jesus, when he speaks in prayer, speaks in extraordinary terms. And uh, it's good to notice this and to understand what Jesus is saying here. In John 15 and verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us for prayer, that you would give us a fresh vision for it, and that we would recognize the way we especially are invited to participate with you in your work by means of prayer, that you desire us to be fruitful in prayer as well. And I pray that all of us, Lord, would commit to a vibrant prayer life, that we would be faithful to it and persistent in it, that we would plead with you, that there would be passion, that we would not pray cold and different prayers, that there would be a true pouring our hearts out to you, relying on you, and looking to you for answers. And I pray that this week, in addition to lifting up the work of the church over this next year and entrusting it to you, I pray that also there would be a stirring in us to more earnest prayer. Please help me as I challenge your people, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so John 15 is a famous passage of scripture. There are many such uh, famous passages. Great passage, one of my favorites. They're all my favorites, but you know, gotta say it still, I love this passage. I, but then I don't come to any passage. Well, there are some I guess I don't, I mean it's, like embracing the pain when you read them. Uh, but nonetheless, this one here, John 15, is a chapter where Jesus explains the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and us. Uh, and it is the um, illustration of the vine and the branches. And uh, Jesus is very clear in this passage to lay out what the parts are. So there's really no excuse for misinterpretation of this because Jesus is very clear what each thing, what is represented in each example, each illustration that he gives. So he starts out, John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, he says. So these are the key Characters. He is the vine, Jesus is. His father is the husbandman. And then we also know that we are the branches. So those are the key characters. The husbandman, God the Father, is the one who deals with the branches. And Jesus, again, is very clear in this what God the Father with the husbandman is looking for. The branches that are unfruitful, he cuts them off. And he throws them in the burn pile to be burned. The branches that are fruitful, he purges them so that they'll be more fruitful. So this is God the Father tending to the vine, tending to the branches, tending to uh, this 
plant that God has designed to be a fruit-bearing plant. No fruitless branches are tolerated on that, on that plant, on that grapevine. No fruitless branches. When God encounters a fruitless branch, he as the husbandman chops it off and drags it off to be burned. When he encounters a fruitful branch, that's the other thing, is that no branch goes untouched. God is always tending to the branches. And so he is, the word that we use is prune, but the word that Jesus uses is purge. And it's interesting that between verse, I think it's verse 2 and verse 3, he uses the same word, but it's translated two different ways. The word he uses in verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Now that word, the Greek word that's rendered purgeth in verse 2 is used again in verse 3 when Jesus says, now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word clean is rendering the same Greek word as purgeth. So what he is saying is that by the application of the word of God, the word of Christ, and Jesus said, now are ye clean, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So the words of Jesus are used to cleanse us or in terms of that are relevant to a um, vine to purge us so or prune us. So God is working on you through the word to cleanse you, to clip you, to uh, cut you back. That's what he's doing. It reminds me of what Isaiah said about the Holy Spirit. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. This is the, the, the forgotten work of the Holy Spirit to wither the flesh. But it's an important work. And that is what Jesus is saying as well. That the husbandman is tending to you as a branch in order to make you more fruitful. So all the chopping, all the pruning, all the purging is a cleansing work. Jesus is clearly connecting those two to each other in order to make you more fruitful. This is a glorious thing. God's constant attention to you to make sure that you will bear fruit for him. Wonderful thing. <clears throat> As the branch, Jesus commands us then to abide in him and he in us. It's interesting that Jesus commands this. There, it's not like, you know, a, a branch is going to climb up on the, on the vine and attach itself. Uh, it seems like when it comes to that, that we are passive beneficiaries of God's redeeming work. Uh, God is the one who causes the, the branch 
to abide in the vine, we are drawn into Christ by the power of God and the grace of the gospel. But we are also commanded to abide in Christ. And that means that we're not merely passive recipients. We are also active in abiding in Christ. And that activity, that command to abide in Christ means that we must maintain our vital union to the Lord Jesus Christ that will make us fruitful. So, so we are to care for and get, be attentive to our abiding relationship with Christ. We are not to sit back and just say, you know, Christ, whatever you're going to do in me, you go ahead and do in me. We're not to be, in other words, treated as fatalists, treat ourselves as if we are helpless, totally helpless, because we are not. We are commanded, and what God has commanded us to do, we are able to do. We are commanded to abide in Christ. And so we are to be attentive to our relationship with him. We are to be sure that we have an abiding, lively, life-giving, fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus Christ. We must not take our connection to Christ for granted. And this is something that I, I see it and hear it constantly among churches, especially churches that preach an easy believism, quick prayerism type of conversion experience where you just pray the prayer and it's all done. And then, you know, the discipleship maybe will follow, maybe it won't. It's not really necessary. All that's necessary is that you believe, and apparently in, in the minds of some, it's necessary only that you believe, maybe just for a fleeting moment, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for you. And there, you know, you have that fleeting thought that, yeah, I think he did that. And boom, it's done. Taken care of. You're all right. But that, I think, is less common than the notion that many have that you can go through, you can be a Christian, but never show any evidence of it whatsoever in your life. Never follow Christ, never take up his cross to follow him, never give your life up for him, never whatsoever. That there doesn't have to be any evidence of fruit. Now that contradicts what God clearly says in John 15, because he says... In his word, Jesus taught us that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And then later on, he said that it's dragged off to the burn pile. That is what is done with it. But also, I think of this abiding relationship, this fruit-bearing relationship that so many are careless of. It does not concern them that they haven't had a walk with God, they haven't had a relationship with God, they have not gotten anything out of the Word of God, they have not enjoyed time in prayer with God, rarely, if ever, in their Christian life. And it doesn't concern them. And apparently, passages that teach us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and to make your calling and election sure, have never troubled their minds because, and this is what they'll say, 
I asked Jesus to save me. And I believe he did. Now, if that is the sum of the Christian life, then why bother? I've asked this question many times. If that's it, then live it up. If you want to stay at home and watch football, do that. If you want to live in open sin, go ahead. There's nothing to prevent you from it. And please don't tell me, well, you won't want to do that. There are a lot of people who want to do that, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the modern contemporary church is full of people who are living to themselves day in and day out, <coughs> sometimes even parading it. And again, I say, why not? If profession of faith in Christ is sufficient, to ensure you eternal bliss in heaven and you don't need to worry about your sin in this life then don't worry about your sin in this life but of course that contradicts scripture not just a verse or two we're not going to proof text that one but we're going to point to the entirety of the word of God and we're going to point to the many Many warnings that God gives us in Scripture very clearly about this kind of cavalier disregard for God. That must not be. It must not be. We must not take our connection to Christ for granted. And we must not be careless of it. Because God is looking for fruit in you. And if he doesn't find it, he will, the Bible says, drag you off to the burn pile. Please don't think that I'm preaching that you would lose your salvation. I'm saying that the branches, and, and by the way, I say this, that Jesus is using a metaphor here. And an analogy like this doesn't translate in every possible way. So every branch in me doesn't mean that you would lose your salvation. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that you may be connected, but there's no vital union between you and the vine. Because if there's that vital union, then you will be fruitful. Anything can be attached, but not connected in a vital union. And that's what I'm saying, that we need to be diligent, we need to be careful, we need to be sure that there is a vital connection between us and Christ now you are not, you are not, you do not have that vital union, vital connection to Christ. If you are careless about it, if you don't care. Now I'm not saying sometimes careless, but I mean all the time, never careless, never concerned. Never concerned to see fruit produced in your life. I understand that 
anytime I preach, you know, we have some who are too casual and too careless, and we have others who are so tender that if I preach it too hard, then half of, you know, then those folks will start losing their salvation and needing assurance and so on, and I don't mean to do any of that. I would say, in fact, that your carefulness and your concern for it is evidence that you are connected, vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your desire to see fruit, your concern when you don't see it. That would be evidence that you are in that vital union with Christ. Fruitfulness requires more than a mere connection to Christ or his church. In other words, a mere attachment. Fruitfulness requires that vital connection, the connection between the vine and the branch, where the branch is in the vine and the vine in the branch, that where you can't really tell where the one ends and the other begins, because the branch is growing out of the vine. And unless we have that, we will be fruitless. Now Jesus explains why we must maintain this vital union. Verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can he, except ye abide in me. It is impossible for you to be fruitful as a Christian unless you are attached, vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. This reason becomes the blessing in verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus said, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Notice the word much. Not a little. Much fruit. But then Jesus follows that up with a reason. For without me, ye can do nothing. So in other words, severed from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing independently of Christ any more than a severed branch would be able to bear fruit. If it had fruit on it to begin when it was severed, then that fruit would be because of its connection to the vine. But if it's detached from the vine, it cannot bear fruit. In the sixth verse, Jesus warns us of the consequences of living our lives apart from him. If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You may flatter yourself that the casual connection you have to the church is good enough but if you go on living your life without regard for God, without concern for Christ, independently of Jesus Christ, you will be fruitless. And the fruitless branch comes to a tragic end. Right? The point of all this is to say that as the vine, Jesus is living through us as much as we are living through him. That's the point. And the fruitfulness of it is Christ living through you, in you. That's what makes you fruitful. Now this is a great blessing for us to understand. 
And all of that provides the context for what Jesus tells us next and what will bring uh, us to the challenge for prayer. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. I find myself, honestly, I'm just, I'm going to be really candid with you. I find myself troubled when I come to verses like that. Because the promise seems like it's too much. It seems like Jesus is promising, over-promising. Yeah. In fact, it feels to me so overwhelming that Jesus would tell us that you will ask what you will, and it shall be done. That, it's an embarrassment almost, that God would be that gracious and get that good to us. My faith stumbles at it. I struggle to believe it. It seems it seems so much, but that's what God says, and that's what we have to believe. We have to believe that, because that's what Jesus tells us here. Herein is my Father glorified, he said, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples, he says. I want to consider then Three things, the condition, the promise, and the result. Here's the condition, twofold. We must abide in Christ, and his words must abide in us. So we must maintain then that vital union with Jesus Christ, that life-giving union wherein Christ is living through me and I through him. We must maintain that. We must not be careless of it, or allow offenses to pile up between us and God. <clears throat> we must not assume that we have an abiding relationship with God when we neglect that relationship with Christ, our vital union with Christ. We must not assume that. The abiding relationship includes our faithful attendance to God's words, letting his words dwell in us richly. So our fruitfulness is the product of the life of Jesus overflowing in us as Jesus works through us. Really, this is what Jesus promised, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and show you this. But something that Jesus pledged to his disciples was that after I leave, I'm going to live through you more fully, more powerfully than what I lived by myself when I was on this earth. Now that's an, that's an amazing, incredible thing. I was reading, in fact, in preparation for this morning's sermon, I was reading a Spurgeon sermon, and he was talking about this, and I didn't take the time to go back and find it again. Um, but he was talking about that Jesus in his ministry did not experience a lot of what we would consider success, quantifiable success. You see, it, it, and I pointed it out to you, you know, Jesus had huge followings at various times, you know, like um, 
he made Donald Trump look like a hiker. Um, some of the times, you know, some of those gatherings that he had. Nowadays, you could say, where he fed the people, you know. There are a lot of people, 20, 30,000 people, I think would be a fairer estimate of that. But then Jesus would preach to them, and, and it was funny because they were fascinated by his miracle working, but they did not love his preaching. You know? And, and I'm just going to tell you as a pastor, that hurts. People don't love your preaching. I mean, what's not to love? I thought I'd be like ranked up there in the top 10. But people don't always love your preaching. People did not love Jesus' preaching. Because he preached to a crowd of 20,000, and when he was done, they were 12. I'm not going to run the numbers on that. That's a very low percentage. Uh, it's like a one hundredth of a percent that were left when he was done. And so many pastors measure themselves by the growth. And, and I'm just going to tell you that, it, you know, if you preach the gospel real light and easy, you can get more people to come, no doubt. People are hungry for that sort of thing, but I also think that, you know, true Christians are hungry for true preaching. The word. That's what Jesus did. He preached that way. Right? And when he died, his disciples were saved. He had 70, remember, that he sent out. But there were 12 when he went to the uh, upper room. And there were none for a while when he went to the cross. And then there were 12 after his resurrection. And then there were 120. And that's about it as far as visible results in the life of Christ. And Spurgeon was saying that Jesus, just like everything else he did in life, he was willing to bear the reproach. He was willing to bear the reproach. But Jesus promised you and me more than that. Let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> Let me show you this promise that Jesus said. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. When we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us, we will be very fruitful through prayer. That's what Jesus promised. When we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us, we will be very fruitful through prayer. Now John has been building up to this statement in his gospel. And it's helpful to rehearse what is said earlier in the book, a chapter ago, John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, listen to this, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Let me, let me pause right there. Notice that I go unto my Father. Because I go unto my Father. So Jesus promised that we would do greater works than he did because he goes to his Father. Now we know that Jesus attached his resurrection and ascension to heaven to the giving of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, then the Spirit won't come. But if I go away, then the Spirit will come. 
So Jesus clearly is telling you that the presence of the Holy Spirit is more important than his own physical presence in this world for all eternity. Otherwise, Jesus could have just stayed, right? He could have risen again. Imagine. Jesus rose from the dead, dead and then just kept living among men. What do you think would be the result by now? Right? I mean, he could have covered the whole globe. But Jesus said there was a more powerful, more effective way. And that was for him to live through you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So this is what he is pledging to us. Now listen to John 14, verse 12 again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and then listen. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, Jesus makes this kind of promise about prayer. The greater works that we'll do, we will do through prayer. Jesus promised that he would do greater works through us than what he did in this world and that he would do those greater works in answer to our prayers. That's what he said. Also in John 7, earlier than that, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And of course, John explains that he's saying this about the Holy Spirit. So this is what I'm saying to you. That Jesus intentionally, in his life and ministry, didn't do a lot. And I, I don't mean that in a blasphemous way, but I mean there were not a lot of visible results, there were not a lot of converts, not a lot of disciples made. Jesus said he was reserving that for when he departed and gave the Holy Spirit, because with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, out of your belly would flow rivers of living water, and he would accomplish greater works in, at, through your prayers. That's what he said. Through your prayers, he would accomplish greater works. <clears throat> this is Jesus' plan for advancing his kingdom. That he would display God's glory even more through the prayers of his saints in his absence than what he did in his days on the earth. So then what is the result of this. We abide in Jesus by sitting at his feet, learning from his word, speaking to him in prayer. As we do this, we'll be fruitful, and this fruitfulness brings glory to God. The fruitfulness of our lives, especially the fruitfulness of our prayer lives, displays God's power and glory. That he would work his wonders through such broken vessels as ourselves, 
and through what seems to be such a weak and feeble means of accomplishing his work. And this is what I mean. And I'm saying this to Christians, that we as Christians often, though we would never say it out loud, we often treat prayer as if it were the weakest thing that we could do. Because when we want to see something done for God, what do we think we need to do? We need to get out and work. We need to plan a revival. We need to have a big day. We need to put a big program together. That's what we think. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that the great things are accomplished when weak people get in a weak position and pray to God from that position of weakness. That's what he says. <clears throat> and he promised that through our prayer specifically, as we maintain our relationship with himself through the word, he promised he would make us fruitful. <coughs> Notice in verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. God will display his glory in my life by making me fruitful as a Christian in answer to my prayers as I abide in Christ and his word abides in me. Specifically, God will work through my prayers to bring souls to the Savior. And I know that that's what he's saying because in John 15 and verse 16, he said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, I may give it you. I'm amazed at how simple this all is. I maintain my union with Christ by dwelling in his word, uh, reading his word, meditating on it, dealing with sin in my life, and by praying. Praying specifically that his work would be accomplished in my life, that he would work in me so that he might work through me. And Jesus, in answer to my prayers, makes me fruitful. And then I'm able to pray and see God work in other lives as well. You know, with that in mind, I would urge each of you to begin a list, if you don't already have one, of people that you would like to witness to and pray and ask that the Lord would give you an opportunity and utterance that you might witness to them and see them saved. That we would fill up a prayer sheet with people that we're praying for by name. Trusting God, believing his promise that you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. 